So today, we're in part seven of uh, our study in James, uh, and we're still in chapter two. So we're doing good, good speed. Uh, Today we'll be looking at uh, verses uh, 14 through 19 in chapter 2. And uh, James was written to all the Jewish believers spread out around the world. And the letter went out because obviously James had some concerns for how the Christian believers that, that all these word has gone out to were living. And how they were living their lives. And so he was very concerned. And now we're going to get to the difficult part that, that most people don't like about Book of James is the section that we're going to be doing this week and next week. Just so you know, this is the, 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 the apex of, of the letter. And it's the, the hardest part that people don't like of the Book of James. Because either people love the Book of James... Or they're not too keen on the book of James because James is like in your face when it comes to your Christianity. And comes to the way he uh, says, do you really believe? Do you really believe? So, Pastor Daniel Dorena wrote this in uh, one of his books. He went to college in the 1970s when people could still hitchhike. It were, they were hitchhiking uh, from time to time. And he was going to college to be a pastor. And one day he caught a long ride with a truck driver. And he was excited because he was an enthusiastic new Christian. And he hoped to guide that conversation to, towards a conversation of faith. And indeed, guess what happened? They had an intense conversation about the Bible and faith. And after about two hours, the driver declared his problem. He said, I understand, and there's lots of people that are with this driver, by the way. I understand that Jesus is the Son of God. I know that I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. But... I'm a married man. But I'm also a cross-country driver. And I have girlfriends in several cities. And I don't want to give them up. So we ask, is this man a Christian? And will his kind of faith unite him to Christ so that he gains eternal life? And later in... Uh, Daniel's years as an early young pastor. He spoke to a young lawyer who had visited the church several times. And he was, he was very interested in obtaining eternal life from Jesus. He wanted the gift. See, he also believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus endured crucifixion, then rose uh, from death to win life over for, for all who believed. But the problem was, even though they weren't talking about money at all, he said this to Daniel. But there is one idea I can't stand. Tithing. 
I don't make that much money now, so it's not a big issue yet. But in a few years, when I'm successful, I'm going to be making a lot of money. And there's no way I'm going to give away 10% of it to anybody. I could never give away that much money. You see, we can ask, is this man a Christian? And will his brand of faith unite him to Christ so that he gains eternal life? And this is what James is going to be talking about. So let's take a look at uh, James. Starts off verse uh, 14 in chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What James is asking is, do you have real faith? Do you have real faith? See, that is the ultimate question, isn't it, James addresses through most of this book, by the way. That's why people either love James or they hate James, really. And James doesn't state this in a, in a nice manner. He states it in a harsh, harsh manner in, in verse 14. See, this question addresses a real issue in what, in what was going on in James's church at the time. And by the way... It still remains an issue today. It still remains an issue today. People attend church to pay their hell insurance, but that's it. I'm a Christian for an hour a week. If you come to this church, an hour and a half to two hours a week. But, but, you, but, but, but that's it. The way I live the rest of my life doesn't really matter. So that was going on in James's day. And guess what? History repeats itself. It's still going on today. See, many of us know people like the truck driver and the lawyer from Pastor Daniel's story, don't we? We know people that profess that they're Christian. They'll say it with their mouth, but their actions don't speak the same. See, they accept the biblical di- diagnosis of the human condition. They'll tell you, yes, I'm a sinner. They understand how Jesus' life, death and resurrection remedy their estranged life from God. They go to church from time to time. Some of them, every week. They like to read and talk about spiritual things. They'll talk about the next big author of a Christian book. Or they'll watch Christian TV. Or they'll listen to Caleb and only Caleb. And, and, and they'll say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And in general, they are usually pleasant people. They have... They seem to live a decent life. They may have a few vices that they still hold on to. When conversation turns to Jesus or what happens after death, 
They sound like believers. They adhere to some sort of evangelical theology. They, they, they can talk the talk, but can they walk the walk? You see, I will say over and over again, because I don't think it's emphasized enough in the church today, that Christianity is a gift. But I'm not going to tell you it's free. Salvation is free from the, but it's not free to follow Jesus. Because you can't follow him and hold on to your past. So if you've got to give something up to be a Christian, it's going to cost you something. So yes, you couldn't pay the price for your salvation. But it is going to cost you something. It's not free. See... You see, there's nothing distinctively Christian about their behavior. They may be decent neighbors and may perform a little community service. But by the way, atheists do that too. But there is no real self-sacrifice. See, that's what I mean. According, According to the word of God, we're supposed to give. And by the way, The 10% he was talking about is nothing because according to Jesus, we're supposed to give it all. It's all his. We don't have anything. According to Jesus. Because people have a a lot of people have a problem with the Old Testament. But I say Jesus is way harsher than the Old Testament. He says, give me it all. I want all of you. Not just part of you. That's why in Revelation it talks about spitting you out if you're lukewarm. If you've got one foot in this world and one foot in his world, you're lukewarm. That's what the Bible says, not me. See, I don't care. Because the Bible's offending you if it offends you, not me. The word of God is what offends. You see... There's no costly obedience. There's no good, good deed that goes against their grain. See, Christians do things that don't feel right to them. They go, mm, should I buy McDonald's today or should I give that extra $10 towards the bus that we're trying to raise the money for? Well, I really want McDonald's, so guess what? I'm buying McDonald's. See, that's going to, and I'm just using that as an example because it's happening for real. You see what I mean? There's choices where, where, where you give, it's going to cost you something. You're going to go without. If I do this, I'm going to have to not do this. You see, but a lot of us, Give out of the abundance we have. We're not losing anything. We still have the life that we want. We still have all the toys we want. But we just give the overflow to Jesus. The extra that we have. You see, that's not what Jesus asked us to do. 
See, we, when James 2 asks what the benefit of that kind of faith is, he is preparing us for his concluding remarks on this topic that he'd already gained traction with in chapter 1. See, in chapter 1, verse 21, James tells his readers they must receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. And in 22, he says that we should be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. And in chapters one, chapter 1, 26 through 27, James says, True religion shows itself in action. It controls the tongue, cares for widows and orphans in their distress. And then in the next chapter, verses 1 through 13, maintains this theme. James' concern for the treatment of the poor began in chapter 127 and continues in chapter 2, 1 through 6. Compassion for the poor includes caring for their spirit. See, you, you see, we must treat them with dignity they deserve as humans and as our Christian brothers and sisters. See, James says to his readers that their treatment of, of the poor is not a trivial matter. See, in, it is, last week we talked about it being a part of the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's talked about in the Old Testament and it's talked about in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. God in the commandments talks about it. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And by the way, anybody you bump into is your neighbor. James closed last week when we we were talking about the text that we will be judged by the law. The law doesn't save us. Obeying the law will not save you. But we will be judged by the law. You'll be saved by who you put your trust in. But if you think that you can say a prayer to Jesus and then live however you want, you're mistaken because nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can say a prayer. By the way, in here, I haven't found anywhere where where there's a sinner's prayer yet. I've looked. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. That it can't be found. It, it, God, Jesus just asks us to follow him. He doesn't say, say a prayer and you'll be saved. He says, come follow me and you will have new life. See, perhaps some in the church were surprised to hear that they were still liable to judgment. They thought they were saved by faith. And therefore, free from judgment. You see, but James, as a true pastor, shredded their false sense of security so they could see themselves as they really were. See, he wants to get to the heart of the matter. See, and let's remember, it is progress, not perfection. Say that a lot. I'm going to say it a lot. Progress, 
not perfection. We should be changing. We should be getting healthier. We should be serving God more. Are we going to do this perfectly? No. But if you're not doing it all, I don't know what to tell you. James has already told you. So, point two. What good is this kind of faith? James begins answering the question with a question. What good good is it or what is the benefit of it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It's a lot of questions. See, that is... Does the kind of faith that affirms an orthodox theology but produces no distinctively Christian deeds save us? If, if, if our Christianity is only giving God lip service, what good is it? If we only give God lip service, what good is our faith? Do we really trust Him? Because the last time I checked, when you put your faith in Jesus, this book actually tells us how to live our lives. So shouldn't some actions follow the confession? It's not just a confession, it's about putting the confession into action. See... Does that faith lead to being justified before holy God and a judge? See, going back to the I'll spit you out text, that's Jesus saying, one day I'm going to talk to you. One day. And there's going to be hot hot people that believe. There's going to be cold people. The lukewarm people they despise me. I'm going to spit them out. I mean, it would be better off being cold than hot according to, to Jesus. So, it causes us to ask these three questions. Does every brand of faith save us? Is there a faith that does not save us? And there is, by the way. And we'll get to that in a minute. Does an evangelical confession of faith with nothing more make one right with God? And as the truck driver and lawyer show, it is a very contemporary question. It's not an old question. It's a new. I think it's a new. So many pastors are saying, "Look, all you've got to do is put your trust in God, and you're saved." They never talk about the cost of following Jesus. You, you no, I know because I've seen so many people accept Christ that way, and then leave, never come back, walk around doing whatever they want, thinking they're saved. To me, that is, that I would rather everybody not like me and tell you, by the way, if you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something and it's about a relationship with him and pursuing a life that 
glorifies him and not you anymore. You're not going to do this perfectly. But you should be doing it. You can't just say, yes, I, Jesus paid for my sins. I'm going to go rape somebody. I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this every single day and think that you're saved. Because you're not. The Bible clearly says that. The Bible says that there's actions. People say, well, well, Paul, Paul writes, you're saved by faith and faith alone. Well, actually, the text that I picked today was work out your salvation. What do you think that text really means? To work out your salvation. If you read the whole text, put it in context. He was talking about doing, doing. So if there's no work involved, how come everybody talks about the work that's involved? There is a faith that does not save. It is the faith that adheres to an orthodox theology but has no actions. See, James 2.14-26 through 26 is rightly viewed as the theological high point of the book. See, James bends every effort Spends every effort to make this point clear. See, the kind of faith that utters orthodox words but produces no deeds is useless and dead. It has no value for humanity in its life or the next. See, James makes these, this point three times. Faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead, in verse 17. Faith without deeds is useless, verse 20. And faith without deeds is dead, verse 26. In fact, he says the same thing a fourth time. In the opening verse today, the, through a question James asks in 2.15, and the literal translation of the second half of that verse is quite different. Faith can't save him, can it? In Greek, there is a way to ask that question. That shows the author anticipates the answer. No. See, James uses that form making his position clear. No. Faith cannot save the person who has no works. And there's some various reasons. Modern translations soften James' language a bit. When they render the key phrase in verse 14, can that faith save, instead of no That faith can't save. You see, or can such faith save him? But there is no word corresponding to such or that in the original Greek. The original preserved in the King James as starkly. Faith can't save him. The person with no works. Can it? And James is saying, no, there is a kind of faith that is so dry and and, and it cannot save. It will not save. Because you've really not got faith in anything but yourself. Verses two, uh, 15, uh, verse, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the, th- the things needed for the body. What good is that? 
So case study one. False faith is useless towards man. See, once James, is, James states his theme, that theme without works cannot save. He illustrates it with four case studies. So we're going to consider two of them this week and the other two next week. Right? When, we talk, when we're in chapter 8. So case study one is faith without deeds of compassion for a needy brothers. Does that brother no good? Thus faith without works is dead. Okay, that's verses two, uh, 15 and 17. Case two. Demons. Demons believe. They have faith that God is one. This is what I'm saying. Even the demons believe God is real. That Jesus is the Son of God. So they believe. Are they saved? They've got faith in Jesus. They've got faith in God saying that they believe that he's real. Are they, when the end of times come, are they saved? No. So if they have faith and cannot be saved, what difference... Is it for us to have faith and not have any actions? And three, Abraham was justified by his work when he offered his son on the altar. That act proved his faith was alive. Verse 21 through 24. And number four, Rahab was justified by the work of caring for Israel's messengers. Remember the spies in Jericho? And she cared for them. So guess what Bilton did fall down? Her house. She was saved. And ended up in the line of Jesus. Amazing. See, the conclusion is that faith that justifies proves it is alive by its actions. By its deeds. See, conversely, faith without works is dead. See, this is a very provocative language. But it has the capacity to shake the church from its orthodoxy, from its belief system. You see, because nobody wants to preach this, by the way. Since we know that Paul taught and traveled widely, we assume that James' congregation... Right, knew Paul's foundational teachings on justification by faith and faith alone. A man is justified by faith apart from absorbing the law. Romans 3.28 says, you're saved without observing the law. And again, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16 If James' readers knew the gospel of justification by faith, then James means to induce a, 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 a consternation when he says there is faith that does not save. He also says, Abraham was justified by works, again, to provoke, thought, correct an error, and affect a reform. See, James says there is a faith, a strictly eternal faith that does not save. 
We speak it, but there's no action. There's no life change. It'd be like if I showed up to church 20 years ago and sat in that pew every week, okay, and just showed up and listened and says, oh, that sermon was good, and then left the building and did absolutely nothing with it. That would be dead, and I would tell you I wasn't saved. See, it is lifeless, and it, 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 its deadness is proved by its ability to generate any good deeds. Matthew seven seventeen twenty. Jesus says, So every healthy tree bears what? Good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You see, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. He's talking, metaphorical there by the way, he's talking about Christians. You should be able to know a Christian by his fruit. How could you have fruit if you have no works? I'm just saying what Jesus is saying. And that's what James was saying. And Matthew 12, 33 to 37, Even make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of the good treasure, brings forth good. And every and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And for by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So it's clear, James is using the word faith in two different ways here. There is a faith that makes us heirs of the kingdom, James 2.5 says, says, and there is a faith that does not work and cannot save. This is just restating what James has already said on the matter. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Doers. Doers, doers, work. It's, the whole book is about actually living out your Christianity. And actually, Paul says the same thing. See, in Romans 2.13, Paul says this, It is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So Paul does not disagree. Everybody says, oh no, James and Paul, they're on different pages of the universe. They don't agree with each other. You see, and they do. I'm sure James wouldn't have said Paul wasn't a Christian because you could look at Paul and see his works. He wasn't just speaking. Here then is the question. What good is a faith that has no works. What gives is a church service where worship casually mistreats people whom God has commanded them to love? What is the value of that 
kind of worship. See, what is the benefit of it? Someone claims to live by faith in God, but refuses a way of life that God requires us to be fruitful and faithful. What is the benefit if, if, if someone says, I have been baptized and sanitized from the most of the major sins. So please let me live as I please. Don't give me rules to follow. I would never give you rules to follow, but God does. God gives us a way to live. And we are supposed to try, not, not, not on our own willpower either, but we're supposed to be working towards it. There is no ben- benefit, James says. When he asks about the benefit, he is using a category of ancient rhetoric. You see... In this moral discourse James is having with his readers, he is asking them to consider what sort of, of, of course of action would be morally beneficial for that person. See, and, simple, and, and, and similar, James 2, 14 through 17, asks the church a series of rhetorical questions again that begin, in essence, what is the benefit So ask yourself, what is the benefit? If someone says he has faith but has no works, that faith cannot save that man, can it? So, in case one, the needy brother. See, James sketches a realistic scene with his words, he says, in James 15, 16. You see, he pictures here a brother or sister who is poor, even by ancient standards. When James says someone is without clothes, he does not mean they were naked, by the way. It could mean that, but it probably more than likely doesn't. It means without the outer garments. So basically, run around in their underwear. John 2.21.7 says, that dis- the disciple, That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And a young man followed him with nothing. This is uh, Mark 14, 51 through 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cup and ran away naked. See, more than likely they were dressed, they're talking about somebody who was dressed inadequately, rags. So his clothes are either uh, uh, few or ragged, not enough to keep them warm. He lacks daily food as well. See, he has not received the answer to the prayer. Give us this daily bread. See, either he is hungry that day, or more likely he is chronically hungry. He hasn't ate for days and days. And Jesus says, genuine faith meets the needs of the poor. It is not, you shouldn't be content to say, 
His words, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. You see, here's the problem. That's doing nothing. And by the way, we lift up prayers all the time. Do you know, most of the time God answers prayers, do you know who he uses? Us. He speaks to us through our prayers. He speaks to us and he says, yes, you're the person I want to use to meet that need in that person's life. Meet it. See, real faith knows that on the last days when Jesus judges all people, he will mark whether we did or did not help the needy whom we meet. He will gather believers and say this, Mark, Matthew 25, 36 through 40. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? And Jesus will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. We need to stop ignoring the problem. See, when we have faith, have true faith, James is saying it meets the clear and present needs of our brothers and our sisters. See, false faith greets the needy with kind words and warm wishes, but no actions. Instead of helping, false faith offers a false blessing. The blessing is, go, I wish you well. Go in peace. See, this is an actual common biblical blessing. It means, may God go with you. And the statement itself is not objectionable. The problem is that it functions as a religious cover-up for our failed behavior to act. See, we go, may God be with you, instead of say, I will go with you. You know somebody who's got to go to a hard doctor appointment and they don't have anybody to go with. As Christians, we should, uh, we should say to our brothers and sisters, I'll go with you. We need to act. We need to act like we say we believe. See, false faith offers trite words and meaningless advice. See, keep warm and well fed actually conceals an exegetical riddle. You see, the Greek verb has a form that could be reflective or passive. Reflexive or passive. So that it might be translated two different ways. The first translation is warm yourself and feed yourself. That is, I wish you well, as you take care of yourself, you're not my problem. I hate the phrase. Some people think this is in the Bible, by the way, and it's not. God helps those who... That is nowhere to be found in the Bible, by the way. Because if that was true, guess what? We could rip all the New Testament out and we wouldn't need it. Really? Really? Because 
If that's true, then God wouldn't have needed to come and die on a cross for us. Would he? Because we didn't help ourselves. And by the way, it's impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I've tried. You, I've been down there and I'm like, no, but I fall over. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need somebody to help you up. See, that's the problem. Or you could look cold. You ought to try to get warm. You look skinny. You should eat more. Well, what if they don't have more to eat? What if they don't have more clothes to put on? See, does the poor person know that they should eat more? And stay warm? See, their problem is an anorexia or, or fussiness. It's not like, oh, I need to be a little warmer. Oh, I need something to eat. I'm, I, I, I. They cannot feed themselves because they don't have enough. See, they couldn't stay warm. She lacks sufficient clothing. In this case, words without actions are useless. When you go to somebody and you say stuff like that, I'll pray for you. And you have the funds to help somebody or you have something to do to help somebody or you can give somebody a ride somewhere and you don't. And you say, I'll pray for that situation in your life. Maybe God wants to use you to bless somebody in a way that only you could do it. And you ignore his calling. And James 2.16 ends with the question, what good is it? Absolutely none. See, it does no good for the brother or sister in need. Kind wishes also do no good for those who utter them. Indeed, they prove that their faith is empty, as James has already said in verse 14. What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And a faith that is sustainable unites a believer to the family of God but does nothing that actually benefits his fellow believers, is useless and dead. Those who have such faith fail the second test of true religion. They have no true love for God. They are not reborn by the word of truth. Verse 18. They have not received the implanted word which saves the soul, verse one, chapter 121. See, that kind of faith offers warm wishes and tried advice, but is no good. And finally, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, false faith is useless towards God. See, false faith is useless towards God. James anticipates a plausible objective to his message in verses 15 through 17. 
someone will view faith and good works roughly the same way, way we view our spiritual gifts. See, James lets an imaginary critic speak. See, that's how you know he's a good writer, because he's answering the questions that he presumes are going to be asked. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And James replies, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The objection says, faith and works are like spiritual gifts. Some have one and some have others. But Paul calls faith a gift in Romans 12, 3 and 1 Corinthians 12, 9. But he never calls works a gift. But Paul does divide spiritual gifts into two categories. Gifts of speech and gifts, gifts of service in 1 Peter 4.11. As the one who objects sees it, those who offer food and clothing to the hungry and the ragged have the gift uh, for good works. So someone will say, good works are for those with the gift of good works. But my gift is knowledge and, and, of faith, not action. I have the gift of knowledge and faith, but I don't have the gift of, of good works. Or I don't have the gift of generosity. The, the wording, you have faith, I have works, is not quite what we would expect, though. See, we expect, I have faith, you have works. Perhaps James wants to avoid sounding accusatory. But his main point here is clear. Faith is proved by a way of life. James says this, I will show you my faith by what I do. When James says, show me your faith, he means good works make faith visible. Good works demonstrate the faith that we believe and is real. See, a claim of faith is Vindicated by a life of holiness and good deeds. See, how do I make my love known to my life, my wife? How? See, here's the thing is, can I just believe it? Can I not do anything and, and, and show my love to my wife? Can I? Absolutely not. How long do you think my marriage would last if I didn't do anything? But I had faith that I loved her. Absolutely zero amount of time. So how do we think that human relationships are different between heavenly relationships? Why do we think that? Why do we think that being a Christian is different than being a husband? Or being a wife? We do it all the time, though, because we say, oh, you're saved by grace. It's okay. You don't have to change. Just keep living like you do. It'll be okay. One day you'll die and go to heaven because you said the sinner's prayer. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Just do whatever you want. 
But the Bible doesn't say that. And I will never say that. Because I want to be, I'm afraid of God, not you. I don't want to tickle your ears. That's not going to make us grow in, in, in our faith. See, James uses the faith of demons to illustrate his point. Demons have at least some orthodox theology ideas, you see. They believe that God is monotheistic. They believe that there is one God in three parts. And Jesus is one of them parts. See, yet demons are tormented and terrified by their beliefs. They shudder when they think of God. See, they are not saved by their theology, theological orthodoxy. The truth torments and terrifies them. For they do, do not add love of God to the knowledge of him. See, Barnes says of the demons, if they might hold such faith and still remain in perdition, men might hold it and go to perdition. See, millions have a deed, a dead orthodox faith. They attend church frequently and know the gospel intellectually. They may even live moral lives. But the thought of meeting the eternal God creates terror and fear in them. John says, perfect love for God drives out fear. See, and, and a true faith a faith that knows and trusts God as he presents himself in the gospel casts out fear. It grants peace with God, a desire for his word and the capacity to put away sin, a capacity that shows itself in stronger relationships and better behavior at work and at play. See, James critiques, critique of false, false faith feels like bad news, doesn't it? I mean, I feel like I've just been preaching a bad news message this whole time. Because I'm, I'm like being, like, where's the actions? Where's the life change? But, as we'll find out in the next section of James, will show us, there is good news too. Real faith does expect itself in acts of love. It does care for the needy. Christians do not simply grit their teeth and resolve to keep more laws. That's not what I'm telling you to do. See, new, new, new behaviors flow from what did God give you? A new heart. So if you have a new heart and you're a Christian, you've accepted Christ. The Spirit lives inside of you. You can't help but have new actions. You can't help but act differently. See, in response to James 2, a reader may want to make two lists of a list of hope and a list of celebration. <clears throat> the list of hope records areas where we hope and pray to show our faith more clearly than before. The list of celebration will praise God for those places where 
by His grace, we have demonstrated the reality of our faith. And this chapter only has only examined half of James' teaching on faith and works. We've only, we've only been talking. We've still got more to come next week. See, but first, let us hear our text. A Christian truck driver may struggle with temptations that strike him on the road and may, he may even falter sometimes. But his deepest desire is to be holy. A Christian professional may struggle to organize his fan, uh, their finances so that they can be generous. But he does want to give. See, we fail so often. We all fail. But real faith does lead to good deeds. They are the fruits of a new life in Christ. We became new creations when we accepted Christ into our life. Doesn't that mean we should act differently than our old self? And again, progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. We're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But, with God's help, and if we stop ignoring the, 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 the calls that God speaks to us, that we just push down deep and say, oh no, I'm not listening to you God because I really don't want to do that. Because I believe a lot of us get, are talked to by God. And then we like ignore it like I've got indigestion or something. But that's not the case. We need to start listening to what God asks us to do for him. We need to demonstrate our love for Christ by our actions. That's all James is saying. Demonstrate your love for Him. He gave you His life so you could have life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being an awesome God. Thank you for, yes, we're not perfect, God. We're going to make mistakes. Help us to learn to come to you, fall at your knees, and pray for forgiveness for our actions. And as soon as we've done that, let us let it go. Because you are the creator of all things. You give us a way to live. Only you through the Holy Spirit, can help us live that way. Help us be doers of the Word. Help us to have action to our faith. God, I pray that our faith isn't dead. That we can have the actions to go along with it. And that all of us can say, I truly love God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.